a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, Brad Olson. He is the author of 10 books. His latest three have been in the Esoteric series. So his newest book, Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet, is what we talk about on this episode. Of course, all the ways to find him and his book will be linked down below. You guys know how this works. We have a fantastic conversation, guys. We talk about a little bit about New World Order and what's going on right now, uh, the idea of a prison planet, ascension, secret space. We cover a wide variety of things, including all of the ways that he has traveled around the world, Antarctica included. Pretty cool stuff. So uh, stick around, guys. Without any further ado, Brad Olson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the show, it is the great and powerful Brad Olson. Brad, how are you today, buddy? <laughs> well, I'm doing great. I don't know how powerful I am, but uh, you know, try to keep our energy level up every day, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and you just got back from the beach, you were telling me. I did, yeah. It's uh, down here in Santa Cruz. We have a beach boardwalk, and uh, I did attempt to do my beach jog today, but it was so packed with people and little kids and had to uh, abandon it short today. Summer season has begun here in California at long last. <laughs> yeah, and summer season here in Texas means a very, very different thing. And uh, just it's, it's really hot, dude, with no beach, really, uh, where I live anyway. So uh, just a couple of guys uh, with great hair just going to sit here and have an awesome conversation about your work, man. <laughs> Let's rock this thing. Cool. Well, like I said, uh, I've been following you for quite a while here, man. You've written 10 books. Uh, what's that like? Lifetime pursuit, really. I was on uh, the set of Ancient Aliens a few years ago with William Henry, and I was having some self-doubts. I was thinking, eh, am I going to stay in publishing? Am I going to keep doing this? I get a couple good gigs here and there, but maybe uh should have been a computer programmer and been a millionaire by now. And he just kind of looked at me and goes, this is what we do. <laughs> get used to it. That's your life. And I've run with the ball ever since and finished this book up, which took me about six years to complete and I'm glad I did and it came out at a very good time the lockdown had uh, given me a lot of time on my hands to get it done and really wanted to put out a final third book in the esoteric series and I'm really happy the way it came out well, it's amazing. And thank you again for sending me an e-copy ahead of time. It's it's so well written, man. It's so cool. And I mean, it being your 10th book, it's, of course, interesting and fascinating. It comes on the heels of your 2018 book, Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses, which is the second book in the Esoteric series. So is there going to be a fourth? Nope. Threw it all into these three. And they were all pretty much being formulated about 10 years ago. Uh, and the second book in the series is Future Esoteric, The Unseen Realms. Future Esoteric and Modern Esoteric came out pretty much uh, one year after the other. And it was 
right around 2012, 2013. So you're referencing the second edition as well as the uh, audiobook version of those two. This one, I haven't done the audiobook. That is one of my summer projects. If I can get off the beach long enough and start recording, maybe I'll get that done. I know a lot of people would like to hear it. You got all the time in the world, but we definitely would like to hear it, man. Um, so you're a great writer. So uh, you actually started around uh, traveling. So talk to us about your, your earlier career there. That is really how it all began. Right out of college. <laughs> Funny story I tell is the day of a career day, about three weeks before graduation, I decided not to print up resumes and not to go to all these recruiters on campus. And I'm playing hacky sack and uh, Frisbee on the quad and all my colleagues. Are, Why aren't you going to career day? So, I'm not ready to just tie it up and get a job and spend the rest of my life here in Illinois where I grew up. Uh, and I said, I'm going to Europe this summer. I'm backpacking around a self-financed trip. I used to paint houses in college and right out of college, self-financed all my trips. And it really, it changed my life, Brandon. It was just uh, the greatest experience ever. And while I was traveling, I'd meet Australians and Kiwis and they say, three months, mate. We've been on the road for three years. So, how do you do that? They said, well, we work our way around the world. That's all you got to do. Well, I took that to heart, and then uh, a couple years after that Europe trip, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Japan to teach English, where I did for 14 months. And that's when I started working on my very first book, World Stompers. And here's a collection of some of my other ones uh, in the Sacred Places Around the World series, and these are the other two in uh, the Esoteric series. So three series of books I've done, including one called Extreme Adventures for another publisher back in the 90s. And this is what I do. Uh, travel was a big topic in the 90s. And then around the time of the advent to the internet 20 years ago, when it really started taking off, travel books started to drop in uh, relevance. Because if you could look up a place on the internet for free, <laughs> It's really hard to sell books with the cost of free. So I kind of had this uh, existential crisis. How am I going to stay in publishing? Do I really, what do I want to do? What do I find interesting? And I have been publishing other authors all the while, including uh, Lon Milo Duquette, who did one called The Key to Solomon's Key, and then several by Leo Lyons Agami. And this is what really interests me. All of the subjects in the world that are unexplained and you can't get to the bottom of it, at least not through media or our government or the academic system. And I just realized there's so many interesting subjects that could occupy the first and second book of the esoteric series. Including in future esoteric, I get into all the UFO, ET-related material, the secret state, which is very much an esoteric subject. It's just known by a few. The fact that just recently it went on 60 Minutes and became more widely known, it is now. So the nature of the word actually changes to exoteric. And I wouldn't say that belief in UFOs and extraterrestrials coming to Earth has quite gone to exoteric level where everybody believes it. But it's going mainstream. And so for 
a lot of my colleagues in this field, I speak at conferences and uh, talk to a lot of other people, write books on this subject. Everybody is vindicated now. It has really, uh, expanding reality, come into our own consciousness as this is what our reality is. Yeah, we've expanded that far, Brandon. So you're way ahead of the curve too. Oh, no, I'm right. I'm right in the sweet spot of the curve, man. I just I just found that <laughs> niche. And I and that, that's what this show is all about, man. It's just discussing ideas. We don't, you know, tell anybody they're full of shit or whatever. Uh, it's not up to me to kind of determine if somebody's story is true or not. You know, let's just talk about the ideas. I find that that's a much more conducive way to share and be... Um, you know, emphatic about the information that's that's esoteric, that's not known, that's uh, hidden, you know, and, and even just discussing like uh, thought experiments and ideas. I just did a show uh, with David Weiss about Flat Earth and it was fascinating, man. It's compelling. Uh, I know, you know, you say that word and everybody just, Ugh. but it's it's actually very, very interesting as, you know, long as you want to pursue the thought experiment element of it. So, and, okay. and that's it. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It, he does a hell of a job, a hell of a presentation. I highly recommend it if you just want to kick back and just be entertained. It's really interesting. So um, what do you think then, uh, a side rail to, to the point that you just made, so what do you think is going on with the disclosure movement right now, with the Pentagon, of course, coming out, with Luis Elizondo, uh, with all of these people coming out and saying, okay, well, UFOs are real and Pentagon re- releasing video and stuff. What's your, what's your take on this whole deal? It, it's been a drip 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 of disclosure for many years now really ever since they found a little meteorite that was said to come from mars do you remember that about 20 years ago down in antarctica and they found the first microbial life life from another planet and in a way this is the conditioning of americans and by extension the world to see how we would react knowing that there's microbial life in Antarctica, but it's here on our planet from somewhere else. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. So it's a slow buildup to the whole disclosure of close encounters, uh, even CE5 of a fifth kind where it's face to face. I mean, that's when it gets real. And a lot of these conferences that I speak at, including uh, Contacting the Desert and UFO Megacon, uh, and others, they do CE5 events with results. Now, I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but one year at Contact in the Desert, Stephen Greer did a CE5, and the next morning they said, yeah, if you stayed up till 3.30 in the morning, this little fellow walks up on stage, and they call him down telepathically. So this is a new reality that we're all going to have to start to become accustomed to and not be afraid of it. There are elements that are frightening when you get into the abductions and cattle mutilations, and I cover that in chapters in Future Esoteric. But by far, I'd say most extraterrestrials that have an interest in Earth are benevolent, are in service to others, and want to see us succeed. Because we're at a a real crucial point in the history of humanity right now. This decade is ginormously important for the development of this planet. And if we succeed, if we can move towards the golden age, then I think we can sit down at the table with highly advanced, multi-dimensional, really ultra-terrestrial even entities. And that's when it starts really getting good. That's when we move into our Star Trek future, which is supposed to be of us Earthlings 300 years from now. 
But in many ways, if you look at what's going on with the secret space program, now it's finally been revealed as the Space Force. We've had our Star Trek future robbed from us because they have been hoarding so much technology and it is so far advanced, many hundreds of years advanced already, that our Star Trek future is actually happening right now in some of these programs where these super soldiers come out doing the 20 and back, but a lot of times having their memory swiped. And I, I speak at conferences with a lot of these guys, all the top ones in the field. Uh, and I moderate uh, the conferences at the 5D in Las Vegas uh, with Michael Jaco and James Rink, Penny Bradley, and several others. Um, I completely believe that they have come out of these programs. And it's not just the U.S. Penner Bradley came out of the Wachnuffen, the German secret space program. So coupled together with a lot of these civilizations like the Germans pre and post-World War II were hugely, highly technologically advanced. So much so that uh, we gained a lot from their scientists coming over here through Project Paperclip. Yeah, and, and so that's the state of disclosure. It is a drip, 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 but it's it's turning into a steady flow, and pretty soon that crack is going to form in the giant dam, and as you're, then it's going to be so in your face, and all these things that may seem like foreign topics that we're talking about now, it's going to be a foregone conclusion. So yeah, of course. And I think it's We've interesting known it for decades, just nobody believed it or nobody really glommed onto this subject. Yes. Yeah. I can empathize with that completely. Uh, and I think it is interesting, though, back to the uh, drip, drip, drip of information. It's kind of like the predictive programming, you know, that everybody talks about in movies and, and film about how they, you know, show a gray or there's a consistent uh, entity type of a range, you know, and then they'll start peppering the idea that these things are out there, starting with like World of War, War of the Worlds back in the 50s. I mean, it's like these kind of concepts have been around and kind of maybe inching your consciousness, the consciousness, the global consciousness of humanity to say, hey, uh, it's possible that this stuff's out here. So when you see it or when we finally tell you what's going on decades from now, don't freak out, you know, and generations have been exposed to these kinds of ideas. And then to your secret space program, uh, it is interesting. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I, I always think of Ben Rich of uh, Lockheed Skunk Works and how he talked about that we have, you know, the technology to take ET and, and back right now, but they're so locked up in black budget projects that take an act of God, I believe is a quote, to get them out and to get them to benefit humanity. So I, I love the concept of secret space. And I saw that you had a, a quote forward from uh, Michael Sala in here and his, his work is fantastic. So with the secret space thing, how much of that do you think? Because I, I think of uh, Delshow, you know, and with the Sonora Aero Club. Are you familiar with that early? Yeah. I love that concept. In, uh, the foothills of California, right? Yes, yes. In the late 1890s, around then. So a long time ago, Sonora. Yeah. And they would have these incredible airships land. Human being pilots get out, mess with something, and then zoom off. You know, crazy speeds and stuff that far back. And they say, you know, that plus the Nazis uh, were kind of the progenitors of the secret space program. So um, with that also, with secret space, what's interesting about that is I didn't know that the Space Force was, you know, the correlation between secret space programs. So now it's just an open thing. It's just a... Well, we haven't really seen the big toys yet. They haven't, they haven't done show and tell uh, fleet week. We do here in the uh, <laughs> Bay area, California and Chicago, we called it the air and water show. And when we see the TR three B triangular craft go flying over, uh, then maybe we'll start seeing the real toys. I remember seeing uh, about 20 years ago when the self bomber came over 
and it flew out of Tracy Air Force Base in California. And we saw it way off in the distance coming over the East Bay Hills. It was flat as a piece of paper with just a little hump for the uh, pilot. And then it, it, it just banked right over the Golden Gate Bridge where we were and we saw the, the full side of it. Oh man, first thing that came into my mind is that that's some backward engineered alien technology right there. So they, they have it, they've slowly been rolling it out. You know, in, the, uh, in that self-bomber, they have a coating on the shell of the craft which evades radar. And that is one of the uh, metals and elements that were derived from some of the retrieved spacecraft, including starting with what we know as the Roswell crash, really the most famous one. But there were crash retrievals before then. And you're mentioning the uh, Aero Club here in California, and there's two schools of thought. One, that they're dirigibles, and they're just really amazing inventors, and they came here for probably the favorable flying conditions or that they were some kind of exotic craft that could have even been time traveling craft or somehow backward engineered and then flown around where people saw them. uh, Yeah. 130 years ago. So when the history is really known, it's going to go back further, as you mentioned uh, to the 19th century and probably even earlier. And I honestly love the concept of uh, the, uh, Aliens or entities or UFOs are future humans coming back in time machines. Of course, uh, Dr. Michael P. Masters, I've had him on the show. And so instead of extraterrestrials, because they're time travelers, he calls them extra tempestrials, which I thought was awesome. That's just a cool, that'd be a great name for a band anyway. You know what I mean? Let alone a whole classification of future humans coming back in these damn things. So yes, and I love the idea. And like I said, your work, uh, in my mind, man, you... You do touch on some of the heavy stuff, you know, the the heavy, like, psychological stuff, right? But for the most part, man, you you are one of my favorite authors simply because you you talk about the fun stuff of it, the possibilities, the whimsy, the secret space stuff, the ancient um, antediluvian civilizations. Uh, these are the things that I absolutely love, man. You're one of my favorite guys because I consider you in kind of a class of... A person that does this kind of work where you're so broad, you know, um, in, in your research, but also you, you have just a a style about you, man, to where you tie it all together and it's all awesome. Like it's fun. It's like Don Von Daniket style, you know what I mean? But, but you, and it's really, really cool. So again, honored to be speaking with you, sir. So now that I've nerded out on you a little bit, so, uh, let's talk about, uh, the new world order a little bit. Let's get heavy. All right. So what do you think the new world order is? And what do you think the plan is? I mean, you bring this up in your book, but I want to know your answer to that. Yeah, it's it's a very complicated answer when you get into all the machinations of what it is. But it's it's the concept of creating this globalist world order where a very small elite is pretty much in control of all the important institutions from government they already own the media, so that's a lock, stock, and loaded, uh, to judges, to uh, governmental systems. The United Nations was put in place as the one world government legislative body. So a lot of these things are already in play. This is what's really interesting. When I edited, wrote the foreword to Leo Zagami's first book with CCC Publishing called The Last Pope, one of the places he features at the end of the book is this city called Ashtana in Kazakhstan. 
and, and CNN called it the weirdest city in the world. And as I looked into it, and he's got some pictures in the back of the book, they got giant pyramids, obelisks, these big square. This is going to be the center of the one world religion. Now we already see the rollout of the Federal Reserve suggesting we're going to have a cryptocurrency through our Federal Reserve system and taken together, all of these institutions then become this new world order. Now, when you look deeper into who the players are and what their motives are, it starts to get pretty dark and sinister. We can start with the Georgia Guidestones, which are a couple of megalithic slabs uh, with these inscriptions on them, uh, not really commandments, but uh, 10 ways that we can uh, handle the world in a much more sustainable way. And the first one starts out by saying, maintain the world population to 500 million people. Okay, so that's a half a billion. But what, is that, what does that make the rest of us? Here is uh, the Georgia Guidestones full page illustration with some text describing these uh, tenements. So a, a drastic reduction in the world population, the adoption of a new world language. It's funny that the words they use on the George Guidestones are often very reminiscent of a new world order and the creation of a world court, a vague allusion to eugenics through the 500 million mark. In other words, a blueprint for the new world order. So if people want to just do their own little research, it's super easy to look up the Georgia Guidestones, and you'll see what they want to do. And uh, there was a funny meme that said, well, it's not like the New World Order is declaring <laughs> their eugenics program in stone, and then it shows the Georgia Guidestones. Well, actually, they are. Uh, so they, they do have to. There, there's this thing about free will and all of us making our own choices. You notice how uh, the Franken jab is voluntary? Yes. There's a reason for that because we have our own free will. So we have choices that we can make. Now, if they announce this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And here you go. Now we're doing it and we go along with it. Well, by our free will, we have accepted that. See, that's why it's very, very important. I believe to understand exactly their mode of operation here, because you have to agree to it in order to be a part of it. And when you know about it, you can opt out and say, I'm not gonna take part in that. And that's really your greatest protection, is just knowing that you can opt out. Then when you see some of these companies are doing some pretty evil, nasty things, don't shop with them anymore. Don't bank with them anymore. Don't have anything to do with them anymore. So you can be a nonviolent resistor, as the greats throughout history have told us, from Gandhi to Martin Luther King, John Lennon. It's just nonviolent resistance here, people. We're not going out there and fighting them eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We'll get slaughtered, okay? Because this whole New World Order plan is the militarization of the world. That's why America is the great showdown right now. We have the most amount of armed citizens we have the most amount of freedom-minded people, especially like you guys in Texas. Oh, yeah. And we have a lot of people that believe in the Constitution and are willing to fight for it. Plus, all the white hats, which is, comes from the old cowboy movies, a good guy wears white hats, who have sworn to uphold the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. That means right here. 
So the enemy is not only at the gate, they're inside the gate. And that's what we have to do by knowing this information. Really, the people who are waking up right now, Brandon, we're the only resistance they're having. We're the last wall of resistance. Look, if we went along with the program and chose by our free will to do it, that's it. We're not going to make it to the golden age. We have to be the ones who are conscious enough to stand up to this agenda. Well, let me ask you this. So I've got two schools of thought on this because I am a, a fatalist, but like a 10% fatalist. So we're, I'll, I'll really go down some deep rabbit holes with you, but I'm like the 90% uh, boundless optimist. So I kind of had an observation on what's going on with this, but specifically to that, I wanted to ask your opinion on, do you think that it is our responsibility to wake people up? Or do you think that we just live as examples, make our own choices, and those people will either wake up or not? Yeah, great question. For <clears throat> over a decade, since I first got on Facebook in about 07, it's all I've been about. Wake people up, wake people up. Going into long debates, never swearing, never calling people names, never judging anybody, just saying, here's the evidence, here's where it is. Can't tell you how many names I was called, including conspiracy theorists, and so many of those, which was a CIA creation, by the way. Anybody, whoever uses that term, is just still being played in this whole masquerade of don't look at the important stuff here, study sports stats and yep. uh, real housewives what are the of whatever up to yep. yeah, the total uh, mental popcorn, just to get your mind off what really matters. Mental popcorn. I like and, that. And yeah. And so it was just a matter of, of getting to the point where I started getting censored. And that's when I said, I did the best I could. I did the best I could to wake people up on that format, which is owned by someone else. Now, for me, doing books and being my publisher and having a great distributor that goes along with my works, this can't be deleted. Oh, you can't be thrown on a pyre. Burn pile. Yeah, I was books. thinking That's some kind of what we're seeing today in the digital world yeah. with so many people's YouTube channels going up in the... That's the equivalent of book burning, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It totally is. So, so in a way, I'm protected to, to disseminate information in this way, but not so much on the social media side. Yeah, like in Oblivion, you'll end up in a bookshelf in uh, Tom Cruise's little cabin off to the side. That was an underrated movie, by the way, personally, if I may speak freely, sir. So uh, let, me, let me tell you about kind of the two scenarios that I've been entertaining the thought experiment of on what is exactly going on right now with the thing that we can't say out loud or they'll censor this, which is still stupid. Yeah. Uh, it's not even a vaccine to begin with, but don't get me started. So, yeah. um, the way that I kind of, uh, so let's get the, let's get the fatalist part out of the way. And then maybe an optimist, a, a stupidly optimistic p point of view out of here. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask you to tell me what you think on this. So let's say that they are doing this eugenics, new world order, 500,000 or 500 million, um, genocidal sweep down eugenics wet dream okay and this is what that is okay and then i've heard you know the theory that all the people right now that are getting vaccinated of course those are the people who go in voluntarily they're the the sheeple as they're affectionately referred to as so uh those are the people that are go along get along there's plenty of information out there that you know you and i and people with their eyes open um can find that are contrary to the beliefs and it even cause so much confusion that it's so blatantly obvious what's going on right so let's say that it is what it is and that they are being led to slaughter and those are the people something's wrong with the jab and those are the people that die off okay and then we're um or rather uh those are the people that then are fine and then a second virus 
uh, gets released and then we all die because they were actually vaccinated against the next thing that came out. That's scenario one. Scenario two is that there is a new world being created, but it's being under the guise of a nefarious organization. And it's actually a very positive, benevolent one that's trying to raise the consciousness of humanity right at about the time of ascension. And let's say that all the people in the new world, they don't want sheeple. They want free thinkers. They want commanding presences. They want leaders. They want people who can build back better in the real sense of the word, not the Klaus Schwab wet dream that he talks about. <laughs> let's just say that perhaps that's what this is, that the jab thing, the eugenics program, all of that, it's not for us. It's for the people who just go along to get along that have arguably been bringing down society from us ascending to the next level. Uh, I like the way you're thinking. Absolutely necessary to take it from every single perspective. But as far as our bodies go, which are, to me, I, I've spent many years living in the East, in Japan for 14 months, and then another year traveling throughout Asia, and I've been back many times since, I know that the body is our temple. And it's like entering a temple. It's a sacred space. And what we do to it should also be thought of as that too. So in Beyond Esoteric, I have transhumanist agenda about brains of the future. It's a section called Ubermind. Yes. But towards uh, the second to last chapter is called the bioterrain. And I think this is one of the most misunderstood aspects of our body is that we have an immune system and we have this terrain inside our gut that can often be the beginning where we get sick. It can affect our moods, can be things that get out of control like candida and other afflictions that are mostly of this modern age. And it can basically heal us an illness. So I got vaxxed when I was in college and I got some autoimmune dis disorders, some of which are still with me to this day. So I personally am allergic to the serum and that's my stance. It's also my free will to understand that I have an immune system with a bioterrain that is able and capable of fighting off something even laboratory made like this CV strain. Oh, and by the way, I took chloroquine when I was in Southeast Asia, when I was down on the equator, and that was a anti- um, Malaria, right? Malaria drug. Yeah, yeah. I had no side effects, I didn't catch malaria, and it was fine. So I've now since gotten hydroxychloroquine, and if I were ever to get sick, which I haven't been sick in years, I just don't get sick, so I can take care of myself. Um, there you go. I have an easy panacea to get over it, as well as some ivermectin. I feel like I'm ready. I'm, I'm fine. Even if another outbreak occurs, I know about my immune system. And this is why knowing these esoteric subjects not only can get you much healthier, wealthier, and wiser, but it might even save your life or prevent you from doing something you might regret later. So it all comes down to knowledge is power. If you know this stuff, it becomes your power. So an example I use is, let's say, uh, let's say you wanted to be a black belt in karate. Yeah, you could put on a karate suit and wear a black belt and look in the mirror and be like, hey, I'm a black belt. We got to dress no, for the job not. you want, Brad. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. 
because you haven't put in the time and the training and the research and the study and the countless hours and getting your butt kicked in uh, the studio practicing karate. But guess what? You keep with it for a number of years or a decade, then you wear that black belt and look at yourself in the mirror. And you can be proud of yourself because that becomes your power. And I look at these esoteric subjects the exact same way. The more you know, the more powerful you begin. And look, it's all up here, especially as we start getting older, Brandon, it's all about wisdom. Charity, compassion, and wisdom are three things that everybody can practice on a daily basis to better themselves and help the world. That's being in service to others. And when you start doing that, good things start happening to you in return. It's an amazing thing. That, so stepping away from being selfish and the ego and what's in it for me to I'm just going to freely give what I have and that's the kind of person I am. And guess what? things just start freely coming back without even being asked or expected. So these are the laws of karma. This is very much on the minds of everybody in the Eastern world, uh, very much so in India and uh, wherever Buddhism spread, which is all the way up to Japan and throughout China and all the Southeast Asian countries. Oh boy, everything is about the wheel of karma. And believe me, they live their lives that way. That's why animals walk the streets in India. You know, it's maddening to try to get through the traffic in New Delhi because there's a herd of cows there. But people believe we can't kill these animals. This is, this is us. This is the cycle of life. We're all in this together, including the animals. And in a way, it's, it's maddening if you're trying to get somewhere and missing your train. But in another way, it's like, wow, this is what real, true respect for animals is like. And, of course, not all the animals are that happy and they're, they're eating garbage and Many are emancipated, starving, and not looking too good, but at least it's a sanctity of life. And I guess that's my point in all this, is the sanctity is also in your life and knowing who you are and what you're all about and making yourself as wise as the serpent and uh, as strong as the ox, really. And um, as dope as the Olsen, man. I like it. <laughs> is that a new one? I never I heard I just that made one. that up, yeah, <laughs> for you. Uh, you know what? Um, I, I have a question about karma then because you've been uh, all over the world, man, and you, you've gotten a lot of different perspectives on this. My impression of karma, um, if we follow the model that there's only two things in life, right? Love and fear, and those are the two things that you operate out of. I'm not a fan of the idea or concept of karma in a practical application with those being the two choices that you have, and here's why. So I think that karma is based in fear 100%, even on both perspectives. You either do good to avoid bad, or you only do good to get good in return. Both of them are fear. The fear of not getting good uh, because you're doing bad or the fear of not getting good because you're not getting not doing good. Does that make sense? So from my perspective, that's just kind of an observation that I've made that I'm not a fan of the concept of karma. I think it's just, it can be viewed as just kind of a good moral guideline or a standard that needed to be articulated in a time where maybe the control structure just wasn't there like it was in Western religions with the fear of hell and damnation. I, I tend to look at it like that. Again, I'm just curious about your perspective. Well, I like that. Uh, I'd never heard that it came down to those two words, but that, that does make sense. To be in the state of love is a state of gratitude, that's giving, that's being in service to all. Being in fear or anger mode is very low emotion. It's very much a service to self kind of mentality. I'm mad at the world. I want to get what's mine. I'll take it if I have to. 
And that's not going to serve anyone, not even the person um, who thinks that, that that will serve them. It won't in the long run. It just won't. So the sooner you understand it, the better you're going to be. And I believe the real philosopher's stone here, the real essence of all this, is also when you start to understand that you're a spirit that is in this human body. I love the bumper sticker. You're not a human having a spiritual experience. You're the spirit having this human experience. And in this particular experience, boy, it is hard, three-dimensional, <laughs> in-your-face duality. Everywhere you go, there's homeless people right outside my door kind of thing. That's why the subtitle of this book is Escaping Prison Planet. Yes. Because yes. once you start to realize that there's a lot of things going on here that just aren't right. Yeah. We're so smart. We can communicate. We can talk around the world. But one out of four is going to go to bed starving tonight. How is that even possible? Well, that's what Neil Donald Walsh talked about in his conversations with God books. He said, we're a primitive society, not technologically. How a, a non-primitive society or an enlightened society is defined is by sharing their technology with all of its citizens, not a select few. That's what makes us primitive. It's not our ability to be technologically advanced. And, you know, some people have AC. I, I'm in Texas. I like AC, air, central air. But uh, some people don't. And that's why we're a primitive society. Just like you said, I completely empathize, man. And, and we're only as advanced as the lowest common denominator. So the human race is only as good as that starving child in Ethiopia tonight. Really, set the bar that high, because that's how high we've allowed all the people to become. So until we resolve that, I don't care if we're out in space already and uh, living off planet, breakaway civilization. But that's what makes this human experience so darn interesting, Brandon. I, look, we do have people right now, every, above ground media would agree, up in the International Space Station. Okay, So just go with that as one parameter. Humans in our space is already happening right now. Probably off planet, Mars and moon bases and ships everywhere in between. At the same time, there are also uncontacted tribes of human beings just like the human beings in outer space, human beings in Papua New Guinea in the upper highlands or deep in the Amazon jungle. We're all human beings. See, that's the thing. And here we are, well, you and me somewhere in the middle here, but all the while we're still the human race. So I do believe that there could be this light bulb moment, this, this hundredth monkey that the people who are off planet, everybody in between the uncontacted tribes just, Boing, start getting these ideas in their mind about who we are and what we're really all about. This, this hundredth monkey, which was an anthropological test that occurred in Japan about 50 years ago, where uh, the monkeys were observed first eating raw roots that weren't too tasty in mud and sand, and then one juvenile took it down to the creek instead of being tempted to eat it right away, washed it first, and then ate it. Said, well, that's way better. <laughs> Kept doing it. The other people, the tribe saw it in the monkeys, and then they all started doing it, right? But the really amazing thing was there were other islands where it was observed, and then those monkeys immediately started doing it themselves. So there's a kind of collective consciousness that pervades through all animal species among their own kind. And I do believe that's true with the human race as well. So if, if this were to happen, we would see the greatest 
explosion of consciousness on a global basis and even off planet. Yeah, and, and I want to. I tend to subscribe to the unification theory as well, and even in quantum physics, I'll talk about what you know Einstein and Bohr argued about about the two particles changing their rotation, uh, the spooky action at a distance or whatever. Where that no matter what the distance, you could take them a universe apart and affect one, and it affected the one instantly. And I love that. That proves unification right there. That shows that we're just all connected, and we're all just plopped here to have the individual individual experience that we choose to i uh, but we're all you know part of a whole i love that idea man that's that's the one that's the most comforting to me right um so what what do you think it's all about like what do you think this whole damn thing is well i i could say we're we're really could go back to karma that it's on a personal basis that we have either voluntarily come to be a part of this great awakening to play a our little role in the greater cause of awakening this planet and to the buddhists they call that a bodhisattva someone who's already achieved a very high level perhaps even enlightenment where they wouldn't have they have the choice you don't have to come back and be a human here on prison planet but they do for their total love and compassion for the human race and knowing that this period of time is so crucial this one opportunity we have to shake the yoke of this cabal break this whole new world order spell we're under and really find out what it's like to be sovereign human beings or we don't or the whole plan is thwarted we could have world war three starting tomorrow was it albert einstein says uh, uh know how world war three is going to be fought but world war four is going to be with sticks and stones love that quote. so if we yeah. cremate ourselves then yeah we lose that opportunity but i don't think that the benevolent ones that are observing us right now are going to allow that. They can't allow that because Earth is a gem of a planet. We are just this genetic storehouse. It is this blue orb. Most people don't realize, but we really live on an ocean planet. That's it's 71% of the surface of Earth is water. It's only 29% landmass. If you look at the Earth from the bottom of Antarctica down here and all the continents around the uh, Ring of Fire, you can see a whole half of the planet is water. It, it's really remarkable if you look at it from a different perspective. And I show that in my uh, presentation called The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica, which had the great opportunity of going down to two and a half years ago. And now I've been to all seven continents. Not saying it because I'm bragging or something, but no, hey, brag. it, That's it, it awesome. was an achievement. It was hard to get down there. Yeah, so and, tell, uh, me, tell me about Antarctica, man. I, was, I had that on my list of stuff to ask you anyway. Great segue. Okay, well, yeah, just uh, was in South America for four months, and um, my partner at the time, Emily Infinity, we uh, got down to Ushuaia, the southernmost city of the world, and started inquiring about, um, well, we could jump on a cruise ship. That would have been easy. But we opted for a sailboat. And it was just 14 of us and fortunately found a really good boat with a nice crew that we got along with. There were 11 Poles and three Americans. And it was 26 days on a 72-foot sailboat going down to the frozen continent and going down there on the Drake Passage. Boy, that really kicked our butt. And <clears throat> almost everybody got really violently seasick, myself included. I lost about 25 pounds on that trip. Actually, you want to talk about a crash diet. You don't eat for five days and you puke everything up you had in your stomach. Yeah, you're going to lose some weight. 
That's not a good thing to do right before you go to a frozen tundra. You know, you need to load up on insulate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had the um, motion sickness pills and took them on the way back. We didn't get seasick any other part of the trip. But once you get down there, uh, there's a whole bunch of islands uh, on the side of the Palmer Peninsula. We sailed down. So the seas were relatively calm. And it's just an otherworldly place down there. It's it's covered with 99% snow and ice. So it's just massive glaciers just coming right down into the ocean. Once in a while, we saw them calving, breaking off. Just incredible. The the wildlife has no fear of humans. So you could go right up to a, a mother baby and a chick and get the camera, right? And the, and the penguin's kind of like, hey, get out of my way, man. You're blocking the view. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't hiss or anything. Their little offspring is right there. And the chick's like, Mark! This is so funny. We had a whale swim under our boat and go right up by seals. And they're watching us on the icebergs and we're watching them so it's an incredible experience but i went down there and i I think i'm the only researcher in this field that went down there to really get to the bottom of a lot of these things that we hear about going on in antarctica craft under the ice anti-diluvian civilization with pyramids poking out what what might be going on down there of course the real good stuff is veiled and even if people knew about it, they weren't talking to me, <laughs> but uh, not for lack of trying. I, I, every research station I went to, and it was six in total down there. And before we went talking to sea captains and the yacht club, and that was an interesting night, New Year's Eve with ship captains that take crews down to Antarctica. <laughs> Boy, they tell me about some cool stuff. Um, but nobody knew about the, the anti-diluvian or craft under the ice. Now, I've since come to find what I do believe is one of those three massive crafts. And supposedly, there are three real big ones. The biggest is about 30 miles across. The other are several miles across. And they're called the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria, nicknamed from the Columbus's three ship. And I think I found one of them in, in the new Schwabenland claim, which was this German area of Antarctica claimed right before World War II. And 2013, they were excavating all around it, and you could see it. Now it looks like they put some kind of big tarp over it, and there's just all these tent poles sticking up. But I show that in my presentation. It'll be a workshop at Contact in the Desert uh, at the end of June called The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica. I welcome all your listeners to check it out if they want to follow through with all these things I'm telling you about. Yeah, and is that something we can link to? Yeah. Yeah, just... Yeah, it would- We'll work that out off air, but I'll link it in the show notes so that they can they can come find you. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. It's a virtual conference this year, so everybody can can come, unlike previous years when it sells out and you only get a few hundred people that can come. So in a way, this is kind of better because it'll be wider exposure. And this is probably the last year I'm going to be doing the Antarctica and South America stuff because I got a new presentation for next year. And I just got confirmed as one of the speakers at the UFO mega conference, uh, end of June and March next year, where I'm going to debut for the very first time hidden esoteric in plain sight. So a lot of the stuff we've been talking about tonight, but with about a hundred slides and stuff we've seen all over the place and just never knew that little veiled meaning that's been there the whole time. Oh my God. When your eyes are open to it, that's, it's all you see. It's insane. The way that this works, like you can't unsee it. There's no going back. There is no going back. It's kind of like the magician's trick. Once you see how they 
pull the card or the rabbit out of the sleeve, you go back and watch the act the next day, you know what to watch for and you see it every time. So can't be fooled again. Yeah, for sure. Um, so will you talk to me about cosmic awareness? Well, sure. That is a uh, chapter in Beyond Esoteric. Just see if I can flip to it easily. And it's such a cool book, man. I mean, this is just, it covers the most incredible topics. Uh, guys, definitely, again, uh, you guys know how this works. I'll be linking this in the show notes. Go find it. Yeah. So it starts out with a uh, quote from Max Planck, who's a theoretical physicist on originated quantum theory. I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything that we talk about, everything that we regard as existing postulates consciousness. So this, this kind of goes into the whole idea that, that our brains are, are kind of like antennas and can pick up quite a bit of uh, information. It's funny, we were talking about the 100th monkey a second ago. That's how it starts out. Uh, Storting awareness, alpha brain waves, kundalini activation, bending reality. So because I spent many years in Eastern countries, I blend a lot of Eastern practices, this whole notion of the chakra energy uh, system throughout the body, and the kundalini effect, which is then this, this awakening of the, this cosmic serpent within. Have you ever had um, that happen to you? Pardon me? Has your kundalini awakened? I, I, I can't say that I've activated it yet. I'm super intrigued. and Apparently you'd know. Maybe if I have apparently time to go horrible. sit under a bodhi tree for a week straight, I can make, make that happen. How about you? Uh, not, not that I'm aware of, and I actually, I don't have time for it. You know what I mean? Cause I hear that they're horrible. They take forever. It's like the worst thing you could go through. And, uh, it's, I'm not a fan. I've interviewed a guy named, uh, Christopher. He's his name is Christopher, the astro medium, and he does, um, astrology and he's uh, an intuitive, he's a fascinating guy. I'm actually going to have him on here pretty soon, but, um, again, but he talked about his Kundalini awakening and it did not sound comfortable, man. It sounded horrible. But after he got done with it, great. And apparently, you do this. Power. You right. you kind of like you know break the seal as it was. You know when you're drinking or whatever at night, and then you go pee, <laughs> then you just pee all night. So then your kundalini just constantly awakens after that, just at the most inconvenient times. By the way, I I wouldn't mind doing it, but like you, I want it to be like a medicine ceremony or like a deliver. Like I'm gonna take mushrooms. Okay, I know what I'm getting into this evening. You know what I mean? I would right. like for it to be more of a that kind of an experience, a chosen one. Now, one could say on a cosmic level that we do choose to go through it at that time, and our conscious is not aware of it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I go on in uh, Cosmic Awareness, Power of Mind, uh, give an example of someone who was able to rapidly grow a plant in their hand. So all, a lot of this is the study of the power of the mind, which, as we know, every year is exponentially getting more information about how powerful we are if we choose to expand our consciousness, expanding our reality, right? Damn right. Uh, it goes into the spirit world, the cosmic connection. That is what we were talking about. Humans having the spiritual experience. Um, internet, interdimensional awareness. This is then the next step after that. And as we've also been talking about, in service to others. So once you know all this, you can't go back. You can only be a better person every day. You can only give even more. And, and, and that's what I was getting into about the Philosopher's Stone. I think this is the real core knowledge here 
is when you finally realize that you're this spirit having a human experience, you have free will, you can affect the world in a positive way, and you start to do it every day, well, then this does come back into karma because this is the escape from prison planet. This is the only way out. And that is when you do rectify things that you may have done in this lifetime or past and offer forgiveness to the harm you've done. Because my understanding is when we pass out of this body, we do judge. We do get judged. It's not by St. Peter's at the pearly gate. It's you looking at your life and all the good and harm that you've done. And I'll tell you this, if you've done harm to people and you've created pain, you're going to have to come back and experience that pain. So why don't you rectify that right now and make those apologies and make that forgiveness and not have the pain that you carry from lifetime to lifetime. And uh, that, that's a quote by um, Alex Collier. The pain that you carry is the love that you withhold. It's so simple. It's just like that. And I love his home. You don't withhold anymore. Just well, be the very best person you could be everywhere. And it doesn't mean you got to be a, 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 an absolute saint and just be out there at the soup kitchen every morning, feed the homeless. Well, that's a good thing too. But there's other things you can do as well. Yeah, it's and, more of a and do just, no harm, right? What's that? It's more of like a do no harm, like, you know. Right. Exactly. It's a do no harm. And, and that's a great way to start. So practice charity compassion, and wisdom. So three things you can do every day. That was told to me by a Buddhist friend of mine when I was a young man, and I've taken it to heart because that's really what uh, any person can do and make this world a better place. And that is really going to be the great awakening. When you get enough of the, enough people to have the, these kind of understandings about how things work, and then it's that, it's that hundredth monkey effect. Boom, right there. Uh, we get to a certain threshold of people that get it. That doesn't have to be everyone. I don't think it has to be half, maybe 20 or 30% who are awakened to this kind of consciousness and then flash goes off. And I would love to be alive to see it. I really would. Yeah, I I feel like it's now, right? I feel like because all the stuff that's going on, I mean, every generation's had their hardships. And I know, and I mean, I'm not talking about I mean, World War II, of course, people probably thought that was it, right? But right now, though, it seems like whatever the agenda is, whatever the New World Order is, whatever the globalist movement that's running the world, uh, it, it's really throwing it all in. You know, it's kind of like the boss level on a video game. It's just kind of all coming out at you at once. It's psychological warfare. We've never been more divided. And it seems like these tactics to divide us further are for that reason, so that we stay divided and we don't come together for a conscious awareness. But you're right. I think enough people like you and I having this conversation, enough people reading your book, enough people listening to Expanding Reality, then we make we have these kind of conversations and create little pockets of awareness that then go out and seed in that way as well. Um, I, I like the idea of ascension, and I think that maybe it is actually happening now, and not, I feel different, you know, and I know you probably do too, you just feel it, you know, around you. Yeah. But then also with, like I said, all the stuff that they're throwing at us, man. So what do you think? Do you think this is this is it? Well, it, this is it, but I, we're, we're really walking the razor's edge here because you could see how easily it could flip. One way, it could be this new world order hell where they're chemtrailing us even more so and geoengineering our bodies, our mind, our planet uh, in our face with a police force and, 
police state, military, crackdown everywhere. Or it could be that we shake the yoke of, of these controllers and just step into our own power and be the sovereign human beings we were meant to be. And, and I've, I've said it so many times in interviews, say it again, and it's on the back of modern esoteric. The revolution is consciousness, and that's how we win. It's us waking up, and it's the only way this can go. It's the only way this can go. We can't go out there and fight them. We'll get slaughtered. They got all the t- tools and weapons anyways. We can only fight them the way Gandhi and Martin Luther King, and keep in mind, those are people who are celebrated in their countries and have holidays because they practice nonviolent resistance. This is how we win, is we wake up enough people who just say, no, I'm not going along with that. Not, sorry, my body, my sovereignty, I'll make my own choice. And that's just one thing, but there are gonna be a lot of things we're gonna be confronted with this decade, because this is when it really goes down. This is when the timelines are at a point where even the technology of using the yellow cube, and that's what this is a depiction of, this looking glass technology, where you can go back and, and see a perfectly undistorted view of the past. But the future, using this technology to look at the future, it's possible. But the future is nothing but a series of probabilities. So in the probable future that we reach the golden age, we have to reach a threshold of a certain X amount of people waking up to get there. That's why the revolution is consciousness. That's why it's really up to all of us to make this happen. So anybody out there who feels helpless or in a desperate situation or things aren't working out, whatever, with the job, with the family, with money, whatever, doesn't matter. It's all an illusion anyways that we were propped up to believe that this is how you're going to be a successful person. What matters is that you are in with this expanded consciousness and going forward into a new reality. And this could also be how we do the jump into 5D. And I often thought, well, whoa, why are we going to, why not just go to 4D? Isn't that the natural progression? Well, the lower 4D, that's the demonic realm. That's, that's uh, you don't want to really be there too much. That's the world of ghosts, demons, some ultra terrestrials like reptilians. They lurk there in the 4D. You see, jump into 5D, that's the realm of love. Yeah, we want to shoot some ladders over that bad boy, right? We just jump it. Yeah, that's right. Skip jump the together. shark on that one. Like, roll them up. Yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. Don't even stop at the nearest <laughs> right. uh, turn. Get gas before you go, yeah. guys. We're not stopping. That's right. You better pee now. And, 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 and that would be akin to this great awakening. If it were to happen, the best result would be that humanity moves into this five-dimensional reality. And it could be that a certain percentage who do get this, they move on. And the ones who are locked in fear and anger and these lower emotions stay locked in the, this dense third-dimensional reality in your face. And we might see them on the streets, but there's us that are kind of up there in, in, in sort of a higher vibrational world and those that are trapped in the lower. This is honestly how it... Why. This is honestly yeah. how it feels to me lately, man, is it, yeah. it's not, it's, I don't get affected by the negative crap, you know, cause I just don't choose. I don't vibrate at that frequency. And I have heard of the idea that it's just going to be like living on two planets, which is what it feels like now. Some people are living this existence and I'm no part of it. 
Uh, but I'm out in it. I'm interacting with it. I drive on the same streets as everybody else, you know. Um, but I don't have the fear. I'm not caught up in it. I, I've transcended the bullshit. As I have a shirt that my wife got me that says that. So it's... It does, though, seem – I'm curious about the uh, idea that you have to wake a bunch of people up for a certain number of people to shag ass or to move on to, or to ascend as a planet. I, I'm disheartened by that idea just simply because, again, it's a love and fear thing. And so when you go to wake people up, you can do it in two different ways. You can just be the example, like what you're doing and like what I'm doing. You can just be the example, have an open mind, have an open conversation about it, or you can be scared and frustrated. Because I think we all, like you said, you're trying to wake everybody up, right? You're getting this frantic, just post, post, and share this video, and I can't believe you can't see it for this. But I don't think that that's helpful to, I don't think that that's part of being in the 20%. You know, there's a guy named Gordon White on the Higher Side Chats, and I mentioned this several times on the show. But he mentioned that um, your response to the crisis is part of the crisis, right? So they plan on people freaking the fuck out and going, oh, my God, i got to wake everybody up. But that's also a fear-based state of existence but if you just tend your garden you you have great conversations like what we're doing now and that's a great way to wake everybody up but that's the thing right you can't wake anybody up you can provide the information you can live as an example of what's possible but ultimately it's up to them this is why i'm disheartened by the concept of that well it's going to take a certain percentage no matter how low that percentage you're kind of still responsible for enlightening the consciousness of the planet, but I think that you and I just do it. You know, it's not, um, and it's an effortless thing on our part. It's just part of our being, right? And let's not transfix on a certain number or a certain percentage. Let's just say people have to start seeing through the matrix, right? And once you do, it's the Pandora's box effects. Once it's open and it gets out or you see what's in it, then there's no going back in, right? And if enough people start doing that, then they'll, take better control of their lives. Look, it's, it's, you could take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And that's going to be our relationship with the, the great awakening that some people are going to just grok it right away and be right down with everything we're talking about. And other people will turn this off within a few minutes and not be able to, to comprehend. And, and we, we just can't hold the hand of everybody. We can just do the best we can with, with the means we have with your show, with my book, and just do the best we can. And hopefully that will have a greater effect as we move on. But when it's going to happen, I, I can't even guess, but I can tell you that this decade will be absolutely crucial one way or the other, whatever timeline this is going to be on, uh, we're going to know in 10 years. All right. Well, you and I, we're going to uh, watch the world end in 10 years. Um, in some point in between there, we'll just spark up a fat, fat dube and we'll sit there and we'll talk about your book concepts. And then uh, we'll just enjoy the final little bit there. So, well, my show is grateful to have found you and your book. I'm really grateful that we've connected. Because uh, like I said, I've been following your work for quite a while, man. Like I said, you're, you're right up there for me as far as researchers go and as far as the way that you present the information is fantastic. So it's been an, a true honor, honestly, to connect with you. So um, there are a, a million questions that I could ask you, but I will do this. Let's say that maybe we cover one more thing and then wrap it, and then that'll give you a good excuse to come on uh, again in the future. Hey, you bet. Anytime. Cool. So uh, I want to know about Brains of the Future. This is all also something that you cover in your new book, and uh, just talk to us about that, man, because the transhuman agenda is like scary as hell, man. This is what Elon Musk is working on. I mean, he sits there one minute and tells you, that AI is a demon, and then he wants to insert it into your head. I can't figure that guy out. I really can't. 
Yeah, yeah, brains of the future. So you really uh, grokked onto this uh, Ubermind section here. Dude, the Ubermind yeah. stuff, and I love the name of it as well as uh, it. Like, it sounds like a, a really cool band name, first of all, and then all of the symbols that you have for the three sections in there. I want tattooed on me somewhere because those are just really cool. <laughs> I'll tell that to my designer; he'll be uh, flattered. Please, especially your cosmic awareness. That symbol that was incredible, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a good one. There it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Comes around, goes around. So, cool. uh, so just some of the highlights of this chapter, hermeticism, uh, our brains, even essential. You can even extract a brain sometimes and still get uh, some action. This is what I find really interesting. Lucid dreaming, remote viewing, the power of the mind, these superhuman abilities, psychics versus remote viewers. I'm uh, friends with Michael Jaco and could be publishing some of his books. And I'm just about through Intuitive Warrior. Excellent book. Really amazing. People need to know that. And he's all about this stuff. Um, But also quantum, hologram, matrix, but also uh, the reptilian brain. That we have a little bit of reptilian in us. Every single one of us does. Right in the back of the brain itself. That um, is our fight or flight mechanism. So again, know thyself, know what you're all about, know who you are, know what your potential is. And boy, you can do anything. See, because in these bodies, we have this incredible ability to create. And I'll tell you, in the Arconic, in this lower fourth dimensional realm, they are jealous as hell that we can do it. I can take this glass and I can throw it against that wall and break it if I wanted to. I can work on my computer and put out words and speak to you on this show and come out with this. Okay. If you're not in this body, if you're not consciously awakened, if you're not inspired creatively, can't do it. Or if you're in another realm, but humans can see this, this is the message. This is part of that philosopher's stone. I was talking about when you realize your power, when you realize who it is that you are and your potential sky's the limit really is. And we will be living in that Star Trek age. That's the promise of the golden age is we will be then exploring other galaxies in a benevolent service to others, nature, not interfering with other civilizations as they're coming up. And that's where we are right now. That's why you don't see the UFOs landing on the White House lawn. They don't want to do it. And ultimately, we don't want them to do it. We put ourselves in this mess. We got to get ourselves out of it. How do we get out of it? The revolution is consciousness. And so these chapters, brains of the future, cosmic awareness, the uber mind, this is all of us just stepping into our power. We have these innate abilities within us. Can you imagine how advanced we'd be right now, Brandon, if, say, in kindergarten, we start learning how to be telepathic? If we started lucid dreaming in first grade and by third grade, we were already bending spoons like the kid in the Matrix. Hell yeah. This uh, interview would be done telepathically, exchanging images uh, holographically with each other. That's the potential of the human race. And the fact that we have just been tricked and coddled and made into the, the sheeple, and using your term, uh, it's just, it's, it's sad to see so many people who have just fallen for it but it's also very 
empowering to see a lot of people waking up to what they can do. And, and that is the creative part of the humankind that is just nearly limitless in its expansion and its creative ability. So I think we can get ourselves out of this mess. I really do. And, I, and we're very, very close or we're in it right now. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And I have had a lot of people that have been, you know, call me crazy and conspiracy theorists, which uh, conspiracy analysts I like a lot. Charlie Robinson and the macroaggressions uh, came up with that term. I like that one a lot. Uh, but a lot of people have been coming up that have been, you know, oh, you're crazy and UFOs and stuff like that and being like, this shit's real, huh? And I'm like, mm-hmm. And then, you know, they just, you see them start to go down that track and I'm just like, oh man, you know, I've been doing this for like 15, 20 years. So good luck. You know, I'm, I'm here for you whenever you want, but we can talk about it. But uh, good luck, man. But it, I have noticed a lot of people waking up lately. I mean, as in every sense of the word, right? Uh, but also the other way, I've se- I've never seen more followers and more people just being led to slaughter. I mean, it's that's why this is so diametrically opposed. I mean, we're having just two different experiences right now, which is what makes leads me to the conclusion that we're in it right now. Um, Brad Olson, man, I cannot thank you enough, brother. This was great. Oh, thanks for having me on Expanding Reality. Great talking to you, and yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Cool. Well, we'll let you get back down to the beach there, man. But thank you for the books. <laughs> Keep writing them. I'm going to uh, be linking all of the ways, of course, to find you in the show notes. And again, sir, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. A huge thanks to my good friend and author, Brad Olson, for coming on the show and spending some time with us today. His book, Beyond Esoteric, the third in his esoteric series, will be linked below. Escaping Prison Planet. Uh, Pretty cool, man. Uh, The guy is a wealth of information and knowledge and wisdom from his travels across the world. And we uh, look forward to having him back on the show. Any questions for him, of course, you can address at expandingrealitypodcast at gmail.com. I will make sure that he gets those or ask him the next time that we are on if you want to delineate that in your subject title. So as for this show, you can find us at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the links to all of the socials will be, uh, including the YouTube. You can uh, click on that and go check out the YouTube videos of this stuff, guys. There's a whole video series going on here. So if you're an audio-only audience, we do appreciate you, but you're missing out on a little bit. It's totally free. Just go check it out. So uh, oh, uh, go out into the world this week, guys, uh, and just pick up a piece of litter. Just smile at a stranger, you know, uh, open a door for somebody, buy a coffee or a meal for the person in line behind you it, it, a little bit. And it goes a long way. Um, another thing that you could do to go a long way is to get the hell out of that left hand lane. Uh, get on over. It's a pain in the ass. And you know that beyond that, guys, uh, just uh, check out Brad's books. Enjoy every breath that you take in every moment, which is a new way to recreate yourself in every moment. And just go out into the world and be good to one another. Thank y'all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.